Welcome to this episode of Have You Eaten, a podcast brought to you by Neerum Health, which aims to bring open conversations about mental health straight to your ears. I'm your host, Steph Ng, and I'm so excited that you've decided to join me on today's audio adventure. This podcast is named Have You Eaten because this question is commonly asked to indicate concern for others in our local culture. And we really think that it embodies our podcast's mission to invite listeners to join the conversation about how we can care for our own and others' mental well-being. The upcoming series of podcasts will be focused around the central theme of reimagining. This time of the year is usually fraught with concern about how we can improve and change ourselves for the better, and I wanted to take this chance to invite all of you to consider a different kind of New Year's resolution. How can we develop empathy for people that we might not currently understand? How can we approach situations that we might not be familiar with? Even when we are not sure how to go forward, how can we use threads of our common humanity to imagine what could be? In the third episode of the Reimagination series, I will be speaking with Arij Jafrani. Arij is the co-founder of the Emotional Wellbeing Department at a private school in Karachi, Pakistan, as well as her own private mental health clinic, Lumos Counseling Pakistan, which serves children, adolescents, and families. In today's conversation, I will be speaking with Arij about reimagining the parenting experience during the pandemic. As someone with a personal interest in youth mental health, I personally learned so much from this episode, and I am so excited for you to hear it. Hi, Arij. It's such an honor to have you on the podcast today, and I'm so grateful that you're making time to speak with me on this very important topic of parenting during a pandemic, um, which is a topic that I'm sure is on the minds of many. Um, and so first of all, to kick us off, I'd really like to ask about your own observations, um, perhaps from your own life and also from your clinical experience. Um, I'm really curious to know about your perspective on whether you think that mental well-being is currently being prioritized in school and in home settings. Hi, Steph. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to share my thoughts on this and have a chat with you about this very important topic um, that I feel very passionately about. Um, so to start off uh, with your question uh, and to answer your question about whether, you know, schools and uh, parents at home are prioritizing well-being, I would say, and of course, I can't speak for every school or every every household because every household and every school is different. But I would say, in general, uh, probably not, um, because I think making well-being and mental health uh, a priority is a very intentional thing. You need to have a very intentional tone to it. You need to live mm. your life in a in a way that you are really prioritizing it, prioritizing mental health, and of course that. That's, that's a really hard thing to do uh, in general, you know, in general also. And now that we're living through a pandemic, it's become even more difficult for parents and for schools to prioritize that because um, things have just become upside down and we're living through unprecedented times. And through no fault of their own parents and schools are struggling to find the right balance, right? And right. it's just become a really difficult thing. And it, I think mental health and well-being becomes the least of their priorities because um, 
parents are trying to make sure that their their kids are uh, staying up to date with schooling and they have to they've had to wear so many different hats while they've been at home working from home they've had to be their child's caretaker their parent their nurse their teacher um, sometimes even talking to them about different things right mm, and right. So parents are finding a really hard time juggling between those things and it's causing a lot of stress for parents and similarly for schools as well um they're they're i mean now we're almost more than a year into the pandemic and schools have figured out kind of the way to teach kids online um but i think online classes and online schooling just poses its own challenges as well um and there's just you know there's so much competition just the way our society works there's just so much competition with schools and uh, parents want to make sure that kids don't fall behind um and um the fact that kids are not going to to school in person uh there's just that added stress and pressure on kids to to continue to um keep the same pace as it was pre covid which which is quite unrealistic so i feel like mental health then becomes the least of anyone's priority and and that's saddening um because what experts are right now saying is that we we're already in the middle of a mental health crisis and right. one that settles it's it's going to become worse there's going to be an even bigger crisis in mental health that we're going to see and and so i feel like even though that it's not a priority right now generally it it should be a priority and we need to start taking that intentional tone to making mental health a priority in in all of our lives Mm. I really like what you're saying about, you know, um mental health needing to be intentionally pursued as an item on our collective agendas and it's it's just not like a side note that we add to our pursuit of physical health. Um it just really reminds me of that saying, you know, that there is no health without mental health. Um oh, and I'd also like you to elaborate perhaps on um what you were describing before about parents and the pressures that they're experiencing currently. Um what it sounds like is that, you know, the competitive vibe um this doesn't only apply to kids doing well, but also to the act of parenting itself. Um so for example, I've heard from my friends who are parents um who have shared how, you know, in this time where social media is so much more accessible and people are also using it more because we have more time at home and it's so easy to look other parents on social media feeds and be like wow they really have their stuff together and i don't um and this kind of comparison i think can be so harmful and so stressful um so perhaps could you tell us a bit more about the stressors that you have seen affect parents during this time and how these stressors could in turn affect the well-being of their children um thank you for that question uh step that's a really really important uh question um and to to answer to answer that you're absolutely right social media while it can be hugely helpful for a lot of people for parents and uh, others uh it can also be quite toxic um because of course we're not putting everything on social media we only put all the good stuff on social media all the positive and the happy goalie <laughs> signs on social media and how cute our kids uh, are but not not the reality of how difficult it is to be a parent and especially a parent during a pandemic mm. so it's really 
important to be mindful of uh, what goes out on social media isn't really the reality. And that is definitely one of the biggest stresses for parents. And one of the other biggest stresses for parents can be the type of judgment that they feel. Um, and there's a really interesting study that's just come out of uh, the UK. It was commissioned um, uh, by, it was conducted or commissioned uh, by the uh, Royal Foundation of Two Contenders of Cambridge on parents of uh, children who are uh, between the ages of zero to five. Um, and one of the things, and obviously it's a UK study and it's based on the UK population, but I think the findings are really insightful for everyone um, because what they found was that a lot of parents, a lot of majority of parents said that they felt judged and that feeling of judgment can they felt about half of the respondents said that about um, that the feeling of judgment impacts their well-being, and they realized mm. that they're they're aware of it that it impacts their well-being, um, and yet a lot of people judge them, and a lot of society um, judges them on, on the dif different things that they do, and and these are, these parents are vulnerable, right? And I think all parents right now are vulnerable right. because. Of the amount of stress there is because of the pandemic. So there's this feeling of judgment of being judged and with parents, I don't know about like other countries, but I can say for Pakistan, there's just so much judgment uh, on parents, about parents and every little thing that they do, you know, how they feed their kids and how they, what school they go to and how they're doing on their grades and all of that. So, and that, that can be a huge stressor for parents. And then on top of that, um, uh, the guilt and the shame that a lot of parents feel uh, from society towards them can, and the comparisons between uh, kids, each child is different, right? No one child is similar and no one child will develop at the same pace. Right. Um, <laughs> so much comparison between, between different kids and that can cause a lot of guilt and shame in a lot of parents and impact their uh, mental health and the amount of expectations that people have and the amount of pressure of schooling and um, just just schooling, I, I don't know about other countries again, but I can speak for Pakistan, there's a um, huge amount of pressure on schooling, so much so that um, parents have to register their kids uh, to preschools when they conceive. Yes, you know? I mean, this is the same in Hong Kong. <laughs> And they have to make sure that they've they've registered at the right preschool so that they make it check, make sure that they get into the right school later on. And that's just a lot of pressure. And we do know that um, the amount of pressure and the amount of stress that mothers or parents feel during the time of pregnancy can in fact impact children and impact infants and babies. And then coming to the amount of pressure and the stress that parents feel and how that impacts children, a lot of research shows that that impacts children negatively. It impacts their um, brain development. It impacts their, uh, you know, just, just general social emotional development as well. So I'll give you an example. Um, we've got mirror neurons, which are basically neurons that fire when we observe someone uh, do an intentional act. So if if someone else is smiling, Steph, if you're smiling, then the neurons in my fire in the same way as if I was smiling. So mirror neurons mm. are part of the reason behind me feel empathy, right? Um, but mirror neurons are really important in parenting and interactions with children too, because if a parent is really, really stressed out and interacting with their child from that, that stressed out place, 
the child's stress neurons or the neurons that make them feel really stressed out or panicked or whatever it is will start to fire as well and they will emulate that stress so that anxiety and that stress that gets passed over through the kids too and impacts their brain development as well because children's uh, yeah. brain develop in interactions between their uh, parents the more positive experiences children have the better their brains will develop so we've heard of mm. neurons that fire together wire together the more positive yes. experiences children have the more their brain will develop positively right it'll develop better but if the more negative experiences children have the more detrimental impact there will be on their development so and and that has an impact on their mental health and not just their mental health on their other aspects of development too so so whatever parents are feeling um you know ends up impacting and uh, the better mental health that children that parents have the better mental health their their kids will yeah thanks for sharing those thoughts arich um i actually really really love that you brought up mirror neurons because you know to a certain extent we all understand and recognize that you know how parents behave has a very significant influence on their children and i think that understanding the ways in which even small actions like facial expressions that a parent might make when they're stressed or how their muscles might tense when they're nervous you know these things can be sensed by their kids in a very tangible way um and so i guess my question is do you think that the anxieties of parents for their children to do better at school during this pandemic or just the perfectionistic tendencies that parents might display um and this is not a statement of blame it's really just um i know that parents really just want the best for their children especially during these unprecedented times um but i was just wondering how do you think that these anxieties and these tendencies could impact their children absolutely i think um children learn a lot from their um from their environment and uh, from uh, of course their parents um they're the they're the role models and whatever parents do uh, they will uh, uh, you know i like to say children are like sponges and they absorb everything mm-hmm. that the parents are doing um and i feel like that competitiveness and the comparison actually ends up impacting children's self esteem quite a bit for um, sure yeah. i've noticed that uh, children who you know are taught from the beginning that they have to do really well or they have to get into certain schools they end up having really low self esteem or they tend to be they tend to have low distress tolerance or they tend to have you know um they tend to give up easily because their self worth ends up becoming all about you know doing well or achieving really great things and that can be a lot for children um and that can end up impacting their mental health quite negatively so it's really important to um i mean there's of course uh, you know that behavioral side of um mental health too that children end up learning uh things uh, from their parents right um there's a this you know the genetic component and the temperament component of mental health um and then there's the learning uh, and behavioral component of it too that you end up learning things that you're observing um and uh, parents are kind of the first first people first adults that children um are observing right so it's very very easy to see why that might get transferred on to the kids yeah for sure and i think that you know kids don't only learn behaviors from their parents but also you know kind of the appropriate responses to certain events um so i think i've read some articles and also learned anecdotally from my friends um that 
a child really latches on to how parents might respond to stressful situations. Um, so for example, if a child falls down and they start to cry and the parent freaks out and then the, the child might learn that the appropriate response to pain and distress is to freak out. Um, but on the other hand, if the parent simply picks up the child and says something like, oh, it's okay, sweetie, um, then the parent um, or the child learns that Yes, things can be painful, but that it's okay, and it's going to be okay, and the problem can be addressed and solved. Um, so I was just wondering, um, what are your thoughts on, on this? I think that's absolutely true. And, uh, you know, uh, I've attended lectures and, you know, on compassionate parenting and respectful parenting, and I've done, you know, lots of workshops and stuff. And uh, a lot of... Uh, during all a lot of these workshops what comes up one sentence a phrase a statement that often comes up is that we want to join children in there we want to join a children's chaos with our calm and not our uh, we don't want to join children's Love chaos that. with our because if we join children's chaos with chaos then that's even more chaos and you know co-regulation occurs in interactions with our parents the more the more regulated you are as a parent, the more regulated your child will be. The more dysregulated you are, the more dysregulated the child will be. And that's how children learn to regulate themselves too, right? The more a parent is able to model and role model how to soothe uh, them, they're able to learn how to soothe themselves. So I think there's a lot of myths go that go around that if you... Um, you know, soothe a child too often, then they're going to get spoiled and they're never going to learn how to, uh, you know, get on with life or how to deal with life stressors. But actually, the more you soothe a child, the more how, the, the more they learn how to soothe themselves, because that's the skill that they need to learn from their parents and in their interaction with their parents and in their relationships with their parents. Um, so that's, that's a really uh, good observation, Steph, I would say. Uh, thanks, Arij. And, and I was just curious to, you know, just to follow up on the points that you brought up. Um, it seems like, you know, the expectation for parents to be calm and to be good role models, that in itself could be a stressor um, as well. Like, how can I be calmer? And, you know, when it's, there's a saying that goes like, the more you tell a person to calm down, the more they're not going to calm down. Um, and I guess my question is just, how can we, you know, encourage parents to take care of themselves without necessarily putting pressure on them to do so merely and like purely for the for the um for the sake of their children like maybe how we can bring to their attention that yes it is for your child that you are role modeling um calm behaviors but also it's for yourself and um yeah what can we do to encourage parents to take care of themselves during this time i think um what is really, really important is for the dissemination of evidence and for parents to be educated and why does society be to, to be educated about uh, the impact that, uh, you know, the mental health of and well-being of parents has on children and their development. I think there's not enough uh, that people understand about this uh, phenomena, and I don't. I think parents don't know enough about this. That whatever is happening to them will ultimately impact their children. I think uh, that is one of the key pieces that they need to be told that there's actual research that shows that it ends up impacting uh, parents. Of course, it can be quite a bit of uh, a stressor to think, oh my God, now I have to think about this too. <laughs> right. But, uh, <laughs> ways that parents can take care of themselves and you know we say self-care isn't selfish mm. but what I also believe that 
even if it is selfish, it's absolutely fine for it to be selfish. Um, <laughs> absolutely. What's wrong in taking care of yourself? There's nothing wrong in being a little selfish and taking care of yourself. But also, it's really important to actually understand that, yeah, the more you take care of yourself, the more you're taking care of uh, the of your child. And um, mm. there's this psychologist, um, Tina Payne Bryson, who I recently heard, and she said, the best way that you can show up for your child and take care of your child is to show up for yourself. The Absolutely. more you show up for yourself, the more you take care of yourself, the more you'll be able to show up and take care of your child. And also it actually role models it to children too, that taking care of yourself is so important. Um, how can t- parents take care of themselves? That's, that's a really good question too, right? Um, right. When we take when we think of self-care, we often tend to think of like what's portrayed in like books and movies. It has to be really fancy. <laughs> it doesn't have to be that. Self-care doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to cost a lot. It can be something as simple as uh, a small act of compassion towards yourself where you might just lock yourself in the bathroom and take a breather for five minutes to be away from your kids. It can be just something as small as mm. that or making sure that you get up maybe half an hour early in the morning just to have a cup of tea by yourself. It can be something as small as saying no to a chore that is your partner's responsibility, for example, or asking your partner to divide chores more equally, for example. And, you know, just having really strict boundaries, not just in your relationship with your kids, but also having boundaries uh, in your relationship with your partner, in your relationship with your employers, with your Mm. friends. Um, And culturally in Pakistan, you know, I'll talk about women specifically or mothers specifically, they're kind of, it's taken as a proud thing that, oh, I'm a superwoman of a mom. That's actually, right. you know, quite mental to your health. You don't have to be a woman. Doesn't have to be a superwoman, right? Mm. It's okay to ask for help. And self care can be just as simple as asking for help and reaching out for help. Oh, I love that. Or yeah. you need help, and and accepting that there's no shame in asking for help. And of course, cultural expectations and societal expectations come into play. And so that's why there's also a need to educate society about uh, the support and understanding and empathy that parents require to be able to raise uh, the generation and the future of tomorrow, which is our children, right? And so it's, it's kind of like it needs to happen on a more of a societal level, this education that needs to happen. Ooh, I love everything that you've said here, Um, but particularly that idea that showing up for yourself is the best way to show up for other people as well. Um, And I think that one of the best ways to normalize that practice of self-care and showing its value for individuals as well as their communities is to to model it. Um, And this is a bit of a tangent perhaps, but I remember that I once read about a pilot study for a mental health treatment in a developing country um, where conversations about mental illness are really, really stigmatized. And so it was initially really difficult to promote this intervention in this country, um, even though it was shown to be effective for treating depression. Um, 
And so what happened was that once members of the community started to see um, the individuals participating in this treatment experience like a really significant improvement in the quality of life, um, everyone started asking um, whether they could sign up for it as well. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that parents could perhaps see the act of taking care of themselves as something bigger than itself, something that's symbolic, a way to support their children's well-being, but also as a way to encourage um, other parents to do the same for themselves and their children. Um, all right, so um, I just wanted to move on to the next question, which is, what do you think that parents can do if children start to lash out or to experience emotional dysregulation? Um, I know that it can be particularly difficult for children to self-regulate because um, they may simply not have the language to express themselves. And obviously, um, I know that there isn't a simple solution for this, uh, but could you share your thoughts perhaps on how parents can support their children in expressing their stress in a more positive way? Yeah. Um, so my first suggestion would be, like, like you were saying, Steph, um, Kids don't have the language to say that they're feeling stressed out or they're feeling sad or angry or anxious um, like, like adults do. And often even adults don't have the emotional vocabulary to be able to say that this is what they're experiencing. So expecting That's children to, to do that is quite an unrealistic expectation expectation in my opinion um so i think what needs to happen first of all is to teach children emotional vocabulary and the way you can do it mm. is through, through self-expression um so modeling some of that uh, as well so just using your daily life to kind of uh think out loud uh and kind of commentate on everything that you're experiencing like saying oh i'm so frustrated that this isn't going too well um i you know i'm just gonna take a little bit of a breather i'm gonna take some deep breaths to calm myself down before I move on and you know just kind of like doing a little bit of a commentary and a little bit of a thinking out loud um, to to be able to model that to children on how to express yourself in healthy ways um, then the next thing would be to validate uh, what children are experiencing we often have the tendency to uh, invalidate children's experiences or their feelings um, and so uh, saying to them yeah this sucks I can see that you're feeling really angry about this or I can see why you would feel so upset about this. If, uh, mm. if that happened to me, I would feel the same way. Um, so just really validating, getting down to their level and validating and putting yourself in their shoes and understanding what's really bothering them and why they might be getting so bothered by it, right? Um, yeah. The next piece is, uh, I think what parents often end up doing is that they start to teach children the skills when they're already dysregulated. And that's mm. the... The piece that kind of just doesn't work, right? Um, and uh, instead of teaching children skills that they need to calm down or regulate themselves in the moment when they're really dysregulated, what parents need to do is teach them the skills beforehand. So let's say right. you may make a time ritual and you practice some deep breathing at night before going to bed. Um, and so what happens is that when children become dysregulated, they already have mastered that skill to be able mm. to use themselves rather than learning that skill in in that moment so basically what's happening when children are really dysregulated or having really big feelings is that their thinking brain is completely turned off and their feeling brain is completely taking over the entire brain and they're either in their fight flight or 
freeze mode and they just cannot think logically anymore so to be able to tap into their thinking brain and to use the strategies or to learn the strategies in that moment can be really difficult uh so teaching them the skills beforehand so that you can remind them to use them in the moment when they're dysregulated um the other thing that you can do is i often and this may sound counterintuitive but no punishments no timeouts um and using mm-hmm. timing that so rather than saying to children okay now go stand in a corner because you're feeling really stressed out or you're feeling you're having a temper tantrum sitting down with them and helping them calm down together um so helping them regulate helping them you know validating their feelings in that moment so that they can learn how to soothe themselves like i was saying before so using timeouts instead of timeouts and then of course other ways to help children express their feelings is to just do a lot of unstructured play uh, a lot of painting art sensory stuff uh, using those sensory stuff and something like putting on just just some songs and moving to them movement can be really really helpful in uh helping children express their big feelings and getting rid of that energy uh and just you know maybe doing some yoga together or doing some dance parties together like 5 10 minutes dance parties um each day that can be really helpful too oh again i i just love everything that you said um and i feel like my brain is expanding <laughs> as you speak um i just think it's so important to remember that time ins are always better than time outs because we want to be addressing children um and telling them that it's okay just validating their emotional experiences instead of punishing them and um discouraging them from doing it again next time um i also really just love what you're saying about building an emotional toolbox before the event of dysregulation because it's kind of like um having an umbrella out to prepare for the storm um instead of like waiting until you're drenched and then pulling an umbrella out but yeah that's just um a thought that came to mind um and i wanted to wrap up with the question of um you know during this era of remote learning where you know lots of screen time can be really overwhelming and um there are just constantly new stressors for children and their parents to grapple with um how do you think that we can help parents and children achieve a sense of balance between striving for academic achievement and emotional well-being I think one of the key pieces with online learning is uh to have structure what i've noticed hmm. is i work at a school myself and i've seen uh online learning happening and i but i've noticed that a lot of students will kind of just get up in the morning be in their pajamas and log on for online learning and that takes away the structure it takes away that uh you know that mindset of being present or doesn't prepare children to go from sleeping and waking up to 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 be ready to learn right. um so, so so maintaining that structure and routine is really really important uh to be able to achieve that um and creating as much predictability as possible because predictability structure routine helps children feel really safe and that's what they know that's the comfort it's it provides them comfort and it prepares their brain to be able to adapt so that's one of the key pieces again teaching them skills beforehand teaching them the skills that they need to kind of stay focused can be really helpful um and i think just taking up off that pressure is really really important hopefully we will all be returning soon with the development of vaccines perhaps yes, not in the next <laughs> <laughs> things 
hopefully will return back to normal but in yeah. the meantime holding on and remembering that uh i think a lot of experts are also saying that children will catch up right mm. if they don't have good emotional health they're not going to be able to perform or achieve really well anyway so taking off that pressure understanding that this isn't the norm for them yes it is the norm right now but it's not what they're used to so taking yeah. off some of that pressure and really focusing on and setting the intention that was set in the beginning to to really take care of yourself and your mental health and their mental health so that they're actually in the zone to be able to learn um mm. so again structured routine predictability um sticking to a bedtime routine actually mm. is really important really i think a lot of uh children are not going to bed at the right time and therefore they're waking up uh, early in the morning um and they're they're just not you know they're not getting enough enough sleep to be able to get up in the morning so sticking to a bedtime routine um is really important too uh and yeah getting some movement in if you are able to uh get some outdoor time in and uh, and if you are using a lot of screens for online uh learning then then finding ways to to keep your children occupied off screens uh once they are done with online learning to reduce that screen time as well because that can really dysregulate children children too Yeah, definitely. Um as you said, I think it's just so important to minimize screen time whenever that's possible, right? Um I would say that it's an unavoidable reality, but also one of the most exhausting and harmful new realities during this time. Um and I also just wanted to touch on one more point, which is about preparing kids to return to in-person schooling. Um how do you think that parents can provide structure during this time so that kids feel stable and safe um while also kind of constantly reminding them that virtual learning is just temporary and that they will eventually return to an in-person format? Mm-hmm. I think just giving the messaging that this is temporary by saying things like oh when we return in person okay go back to school finally wouldn't that be so fun and just giving those subtle messages to them that while this is temporary that they do uh that they will be returning uh, uh in person too very very soon and for young kids you can use social stories if you know that you are returning in person um you can prepare them uh, i think preparation is really key for helping children adapt and cope with transitions so if you mm. find out that that uh, you will be returning to a school in person the kids will be returning to school in person in the next two months then using those two months to talk to them about you know how they will be returning to in person school um and what changes they can expect what protocols will be followed perhaps using storybooks if there are any online that you can find that helps children um learn about the new changes that are going to be taking place uh, maybe some some someone can create those for children you know um but i'm sure there's something already online to be honest uh, to prepare children you can also create your own social stories uh, mm. to uh, to fit your needs as well so i think one of the most important uh, things for transition is preparation um mm. before younger children it might you might not require a lot of time because they tend to forget things um so maybe like two weeks in advance you can start preparing them really for in person but for older ones you can start talking to them 3 4 weeks in advance mm-hmm. um just kind of having these conversations again about what are some changes they can expect uh to see in when they do return in person 
Yeah. Um, I think that's a great way to end our episode, actually. Um, And I think that regardless of whether our listeners are parents or not, what, um, what you've shared in this episode is a great reminder to everyone that, first of all, self-care doesn't have to be fancy, and plus, it's not selfish, um, and that validating the emotional experiences of the people that we love during this time is a really powerful way to make them feel supported, um, and also that taking care of ourselves is the best way to take care of the other people around us as well. Um, This has been such a great conversation, Arij, and I'm just so grateful that you made the time to be here. Um, I hope you continue to stay safe and well during this pandemic. Thank you so much, Steph. It was was lovely having this conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Have You Eaten? Hosted by me, Steph Ng, and featuring the awe-inspiring Arij. If you'd like to learn more about Arij and her work, and if you'd like to read more about the findings from the UK study about judgment that parents are feeling during this pandemic that we spoke about today, please head on over to the show notes. I hope that you had fun with us today and that you join me again on the next audio adventure. If you liked this show, the best way that you can support us is to leave us a five-star review on the platform that you are currently listening on and to share this episode with your friends and your family. You never know who might need some words of encouragement and support right now, so be sure to keep your loved ones close and to share knowledge that could help them take better care of themselves. If you have any questions or just want to chat, please email us at podcast at neuromhealth.com. That's podcast at neuromhealth.com. You'll also find a link to this email in our show notes. We're so excited to hear from you all.